If you think humor and mental health don't go well together, you're wrong, because today's guest is going to make you giggle and smile. Kevin Crispin is a mental health advocate and podcast host who believes that stories are the great healing currency of humankind. Kevin and I connected in the podcast space online, and a few weeks ago, I was on his podcast, Sad Times. It turns out that Kevin and I have a lot in common, including a long history with anxiety and panic attacks. Now, don't let that scare you. I think you'll really enjoy Kevin's humorous and sarcastic approach to mental health. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, And I do want to say, uh, at this recording, we did uh, we did record a couple weeks ago. We have not released it yet, but don't worry. Now, as I watch you and learn how to do social media, um, I will tag you once we do release yours in the upcoming weeks. Perfect. Look forward to sharing that to the yes. internets. Yes. To the Googles and the internets. And the chat GPTs who will then explain to us what we just shared. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, let's jump right into this, Kevin. You have a, as I said, a long history with anxiety. Let's go back in time and tell us when that started. Yeah, you know, when we conversed a little bit beforehand, I I did make a attempt at a pithy remark to say it started when I was born, but really, I would say it was about when I was four was when I really started to notice it. Um, I was someone who would get very anxious and wanted to make sure everybody around me felt okay and was okay. Uh, the first time I had a no knowing panic attack, or at least where I felt like this doesn't feel right. Uh, I was about five years old. I was staying at my grandparents and I was sitting in the living room at their house. And it, it was almost as if the walls were closing in on me because I just kept having the same thought over and over again. I'm going to run away. I'm going to run away. I'm going to run away. Now, I didn't want to run away, but I was so afraid I was going to run away. And I became consumed with that fear. So I'm consumed with this fear, which is antithetical to what I want to be doing at that moment, which was sitting in that chair thinking about the Cubs or something. And I was consumed by the fear, but also was a part of me was thinking to myself, but I don't want to do this. Why am I so worried about it? And this was long before I had had any sort of mental health diagnosis. This is long, a couple of years before I started therapy. And I had no idea about what that disconnect meant or what my perception of reality when I am anxious meant. Like I couldn't have dove down into any of those things. Uh, but at the time, I was just very afraid and very confused. Wow. That must have been frightening, especially as a little kid. Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. Um, and I I think this is true of, and, and maybe this will be true of some of your listeners. I had all these thoughts. I got through it, but I didn't know how to talk to anybody about it because I, I didn't know how to explain to them. I thought if I went up to my grandma and said, I'm afraid I'm going to run away, she would say something very loving like, well, you're not going to love, you're not going to run away. We won't let you. You're going to be just safe here. But When I try to explain, I don't want to run away, that's when you get the perplexed look like, well, why are you afraid of it? (laughs) And so I just kind of kept it to myself. And that's something that I've done a lot of my life is I've kept my worries to myself 
uh, because I don't know how to, or I, I didn't always know how to explain them to people. And often too, at, at no fault of anybody else's, if you start to have a long explanation about the struggles that you're having, that can cause the anxiety for them. Like, well, wait, I don't understand what you're talking about and all this stuff. So it's, I, I think I learned early on self-learning behavior. Nobody taught me this to keep it to myself and just get through it and make sure everybody else is okay. I know myself with anxiety in particular, I felt really stupid saying like, things. Like, uh, say, oh, just saying them out loud. Saying them out loud. Um, it just, as soon as I started saying them out loud, it just sounded ridiculous that I would be right. anxious about something. And then I was self-conscious and then I wouldn't want to embarrass myself. And it's like you say, it's just for a variety of reasons, it's sometimes easier to keep it on the inside. Not so much healthy, but easier. Right, or what we think is easier, right? And You're right. It goes to something else that I've learned over the many years uh, that often what's going on, um, I, I'm a big believer in storytelling, I believe. Um, as I have said a couple of times, you know, stories are the great healing power of humankind. The more we hear, the more we heal. But there's an adverse to that. And there are stories we tell ourselves in our head that mm. are, uh, in your case that you just said, um, that's stupid or I'm self-conscious about that. That's a story where, let's just say it's you and one other person and you don't want to tell them. It's almost as if you're taking their agency away too without giving them the chance to say, well, no, Lisa, it's not stupid. Or Kevin, no, it's not weird that you are afraid you want to run away, but you're not wanting to run away. Yeah. That's really interesting too. And I know uh, we had talked about, you know, the quote unquote voices in our head, right? Yeah. Um, I, I love you. You call yours Frank. Tell us yeah, a little a bit about Frank. Frank's a motherfucker. Um, I do want to say where Frank's name came from. Uh, I'm a big Tom Waits fan and he has a record from 1983 called Frank's Wild Years. And um, there's a song in there, I believe. No, I'm sorry. 1983 was Swordfish Trombones with a song called Frank's Wild Years. He then had a record called Frank's Wild Years in 1987. Anyway, the song Frank's Wild Years is a spoken word song about this dude who's just a dick and uh, crazy and likes to drink Mickey's Big Mouths and burns down a house. And so I thought, that seems like the type of voice I've got going on in my head. And you're, I, it's not that I hear voices. I'm lucky that I do not struggle with that. It's that it's my inner critic, right? Yeah. Uh, critic being the nicest word I could ever say about Frank, because he's much worse than that. Um, he, for example, many times I've talked to somebody and I'm talking to them and Frank is literally saying, you fucking idiot. They don't care what you're saying. And you're not saying it right. You said, um, too many times. What the fuck are you doing? You're not just shut up, Kevin. Nobody wants to hear from you. Why don't you just go over there? I mean, it, it's just constant. Constant, hey? I yeah. have a Karen. I have a Karen. Hey, Karen, um, there you go. Yeah. And my apologies to any listeners who are named Karen. But my, yeah. yeah, my voice is Karen and she's really annoying. Um, I, I wouldn't say that she's always in my head criticizing me, but. Um, yeah. Yep. She's, she's, she's calling me a, a dumbass quite, quite often for a variety of things. Um, and I, I do think that, um, 
And I don't know if that's normal. I'd like to know how many people have that, that negative self-talk going on. I, I like to think, uh, my best guess is this. I think that there are variations, but just like there are variations on most things. Um, and I think, you know, certain people, it's very quiet. Right. And then certain people, it's very loud. And and I think a good example of this is something I've noticed about myself the last couple of years. Um, I'm holding up my phone here and I misplace that thing all all the time. And it doesn't help that when I'm on the phone almost all the time, I'm, I have my wireless headphones on. So I'm walking around. And often I say out loud to myself uh, when I can't find it, I say things and I'm not kidding. Things like, Kevin, you're a failure. Kevin, you idiot, out loud. And then I, I, I've learned to stop and say, well, it's just a phone, so oh, maybe not. But even this morning, I'm, I'm currently in a hotel room, and even this morning as I went to leave, I had left the, the bolt lock thing on. So I opened the door, and it caught, and it gave me a start. And I said before I even thought about it, I said, fucking idiot, come on, about something like that, right? And it's that, and I'm not saying feel sorry for me. Please don't think that. That type of negative self-talk throughout the day about something as innocuous as that, as a bolt lock, um, it adds up for people. And and it 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 really can be very difficult to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I think especially, you know, we're talking about mental health here. You yeah. know, like to hear ourselves talking to ourselves. I mean, the person that we spend the most time with that we should love the most and we talk the trashiest to, you know, that is, that's not good on a good day when life is good, but when we're, you know, we're in the the worst of it. Yeah. I can't imagine anything worse. And yet we do it all the time, all the time. It's, it's almost as if, do you, have you thought about why we do it all the time? Do you, do you have any um, hypotheses about that? Uh, I do. Um, and I don't know if it fits or not. I think growing up, uh, I was the kid. I was never an outsider per se, but I was never one of the cool kids. I was always on the periphery, moved around a lot. There was a variety of reasons, but I found that acceptance a lot of times came from self-depreciating humor. And yes, I'm sorry. No, I'm nodding, but yes. Yeah. And I I feel like that has just stuck, even though, you know, logically, I'm a reasonably intelligent human being. Logically, I know that that is damaging. Logically, I know that I'm not stupid. I flub up. I do silly things. I'm a human being, but I catch myself on the daily just trash talking myself. And, and that's why I wonder, like, does everybody do this? I don't I know. think there's very, I, I think it's gotta be on a spectrum. Maybe. Um, because, you know, and, and then, you know, I've had therapists say to me, well, now I'll explain a situation to them and I'll be like, I'm so mad at myself about X, Y, or Z. And they'll say, well, Kevin, what would happen if your good friend came to you and said that they were in this situation? I'd say, well, that makes sense. That That's normal. That's, you know, they're going to be fine. And they said, well, what's the difference between them and you? And I say, 
oh, well, I can't give myself that break. And I, there's probably, a, I don't really know. The, the, the best answer I could come up with uh, is it, it, I still think it's some form of control. I still think, think, think that I am in some way exercising control over the situation by putting myself down. Um, and I think uh, that's foolish, but I think that at some point these voices develop in our heads and maybe they had a small need at that time that they met but the, these patterns develop in our brains and then we grow and they stay and they get larger and larger and larger and larger and so getting out of those patterns is a whole other thing well and i think you're absolutely right i mean i read something a month or so ago and it just it keeps coming up daily in my life because i think it's so true we do more of what we do more of and we get better at what we do more of. So for example, if you trash talk yourself on the daily, that's a habit, it, right? Like it's it's a habit and it's something that I'm guessing would be as hard to stop doing as smoking or, you know, going on a diet or changing your eating habits, whatever. And, you know, you'd think of, you know, I've been doing this for a number of decades now, right? So this isn't going to be something that I just read about, think about, hear about and go, oh, I'm so done that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, it, it's just, it's something that I would like to stop and I would like to see you stop. And I would like to see everybody who's, who's struggling with that because it doesn't help us. Right. And even I think about raising kids, um, yeah. you know, like our, our kids definitely will all the time follow what we do more than follow what we say. Right. So if mom is constantly looking in the mirror, I'm too fat, I've got to go on a diet, you know, blah, blah, blah. Guess what? You know, kids are going to probably start saying, particularly daughters. And same thing with the self-depreciation, right? Kids are kids are going to grow up hearing that too. So yeah, something that we've got to stop. But let's uh let's change direction a little bit here. You and I had talked about this a little bit before we jumped on. And I love your sarcasm, honestly, like your sarcasm and humor. Um, what do you think the the place, or do you think that humor has a place with mental health and why? Uh, absolutely. I think that humor has a place most places in the world. Uh, and then I'm going to say the word place again, place, 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 place. So, uh, humor, uh, I, I had a long, long time ago, I had a realization, which was the only thing there's so many things befuddling in life and so many things befuddling in the world that the only thing that seems to make sense in any situation is kindness mm-hmm. every time 100% but i think a close second is humor and uh humor absolutely has a place in mental health because if we take ourselves in my opinion if we take ourselves too seriously we're 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 in for a difficult road because you have to laugh at yourself. And, and the way that I get through all the painful things that I've been through in my life is dark humor. I, I, I have to laugh at it. And before we got on, you know, I told you about that thing that my mom said. 
And basically I said to my mom, oh, I know why I was around, you know. So she she is has a very, very dark sense of humor. Uh, we're, we're at the Mayo Clinic and she's here. Um, she has cancer. And I said, mom, I'm thinking about writing a travel diary uh, for this. And she goes, oh, you can call it before my mom died. And that right there is a home run to me. I think that's perfect. Um, because, well, we're all going to die anyway. So, um, humor has to be there because humor also elicits joy. Humor makes you laugh. Um, I think the movie, I think of the movie airplane a lot. That's my favorite movie of all time. And that movie makes more sense to me than most anything I've seen because it's so absurd all of the time. And it's so funny. And if we take not only ourselves too seriously, but the whole world around us, I again it's going to be tough going I think. So um I think there is that line you have to walk with people um because some people are different steps in their mental health journey and they're not comfortable with the humor around it. You know? And so like on sad times we do have levity when appropriate. That there are times where humor maybe is not appropriate. But most of the time I firmly 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 believe it is. And um and it, going back to the self-deprecating humor that you were talking about a moment ago, you know, I, the summer of 1995, I got really obsessed with David Letterman. And because I could stay up late, I didn't have to get up to go to school so I could watch his show. And he is Mr. Self-deprecation. That's like all his humor is that and irony all day, every day. And it really struck a chord with me. And I thought it was really funny because it, it also keeps people off guard, but it, it, shows i like that guy because he doesn't think he's better than anybody or or any of that right so um humor is is unbelievably important to me do you seek funny things out or do you seek things out that make you chuckle or laugh not as often as i should actually um like i like my favorite thing in art is sadness and the reason i say that is sadness when i see sadness being uh, uh, put back to me in art, it makes my life make sense. It makes me feel less alone. Now, I know a lot of people don't, um, they don't like that they need only an escape and their escape is, oh, I'm going to go watch a comedy. Makes sense. I think that um, I could do more of that, but then I, Frank, comes in and says well you're not doing enough why are you watching that instagram reel you should be reading you should be writing uh apparently arithmetic too reading writing arithmetic and it i don't allow myself that break for that joy but that's that's a mistake on my part i think and that's a pattern i've learned so i do seek out certain things i love comedy but um I think it has to be curated around what mood I'm in, if that makes any sense. No, I, I think I understand that completely. Um, my thing is, I don't allow myself to have fun until all the work is done, all the things on the list are all crossed off, you know, the dishwasher's empty. Like, is that stuff ever all done? No. So no. I found find myself always having a reason not to go and have the fun. Um, so a little bit different from funny, you know, seeking out humor, but along the same lines and that not to blame anybody, but that was, that was kind of ingrained in me growing up. 
you know, to be successful, you got to work first and play when there's time. Um, and, and I've, I've kind of become an unfun person, I want to say. And I just wonder if, if it, again, these are ingrained thoughts or if it's a control thing or, or why we, why we get into those habits. If you're loving the show, I want to hear your feedback. Take a screenshot showing your five-star rating and that you're subscribed to us on Apple Podcast or are following us on Spotify. Then head over to the Rising Strong Podcast Facebook page. Hit the message button and send it my way. You'll be entered to win some Rising Strong swag. I will draw one name at the end of each month. Good luck and thanks for listening. Uh, well, I think a couple things, these couple thoughts come to mind with one, I think you're a fun person. So stop that bullshit Two, um, the human condition, everybody says human nature, human condition. I think one of the things in the human condition that we don't acknowledge often is overcorrection. So we see something and say, I'm going to do better or I'm going to do that more. And we overcorrect. And usually it's like a pendulum. We go way the hell over here. And then we're like, we beat ourselves up or whatever. And we start to realize through the mental health work, et cetera. Okay. We got to come back over here. It's not, not everything's the end of the world. If I, to use your example, if I don't empty the dishwasher before I have a glass of wine, you know, and watch airplane. The, the other thing is, um, well, I've, oh, well, I think I've lost it. So overcorrection is is one of them. And I think that, oh, nuance. Nuance is a word that has a meaning, but that meaning does not seem to be appearing in a lot of the culture anymore. Nuance is, uh, uh, do you know the US show um, Yellowstone? Yes. So I watched the first episode of that, and that's all I've watched. And I got done with the episode. And I said, you know what? That show doesn't have any of and it's nuance. It's just beating you over the head with it, which is fine. But when having complicated discussions about mental health, about the way we treat ourselves, people forget about the nuance of it and that it's not all or nothing all of the time. Right. You know, so I, I and yes, I was told the same thing. Um, you got to work hard to get ahead, et cetera. Yes, of course. But there are limits to that. And the easiest example I can do of that is I've got this bottle of water. There is a way that you can overdose on water. If you drink too much water, you drown your cells. Yeah. So let me get back to work on that. You know, I never learned to swim. So that, that'll help with that. There we go. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, when we talked before as well, you said that, that you really struggle with um, self-doubt. And mm-hmm. uh, an imposter syndrome. And I guess that kind of ties all into, you know, what we've been talking about here today as well. Like that, that Frank guy, Does, is he playing a role in that? Uh, oh, yeah. Frank, um, Frank is the president, CEO, CFO, COO of the Kevin Self-Doubt Institute. Um, and he has built quite a massive bureaucracy. And he, uh, it, I, so I did a writing exercise of a number of years back where I started to write a letter to Frank. Okay. So I'm typing it out. I'm writing it. 
And then I started to let Frank responses get typed out and I would quickly switch to italic and it would be Frank's response. Then back to me, non-italic. By the end of the letter was like the last page was all italics, which is him just beating me down. Wow. Yeah. Um, And it went out with my Christmas card and uh, I lost a lot of friends. I'm just kidding. I didn't, I don't send Christmas cards. I do want, I've always wanted to send a Christmas card where it's just me looking very confused and angry and alone and just send it to people and be like, happy holidays. Cause I think that'd be fucking hilarious, but I digress. <laughs> so, well, honestly, yeah. Yeah. I dare you. Double dog well, dare you. I also was taught to save your money when I was a kid. So Frank says to me, see, Frank takes, Frank is not interested in nuance either. So Frank's like, you're not going to spend that money on that. What are you going to do? You're going to waste your money on a joke like that, which wouldn't be a waste as we just talked about for 10 minutes because it would make people laugh and laughter is great. So true. Do you have the spot that you need to quote unquote fix your anxiety, fix your mental health, fix anything about you? Or have you kind of gotten to this place where this is me, this is Kevin, you know, and I accept that. Here's me. Um, I think I'm probably more in the latter. Uh, I think I've spent a lot of my time trying to fix it or trying to understand it. And mm. by understanding it, think that I have control over it when really controls an illusion. Um so I think I mostly accept it. I think where, where that gets dangerous is, so I, I've been diagnosed with OCD and um, to put too much of how you see yourself in your diagnosis or how you view yourself gets to be, if you're accepting of it, but at the same time say, I am OCD Kevin, you know, blah, 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 um, gets, again, nuance over correction gets you into trouble i feel less about needing to fix it because i have done a lot of work through therapy uh through medication uh um um uh, uh working out etc that helps me balance that um and it's it's helped me understand that who I am is not just my anxiety but an anxiety uh you know i i've heard a lot of my mentors or people who I look up to call it a superpower, right? So my OCD, it it can be debilitating, but it also has led me to accomplish a lot of stuff because it does keep me focused and driven and et cetera. So I don't think that I necessarily need to fix it as much anymore. Although Frank is telling me, and I'm not kidding, Frank is telling me right now, no, you do need to fix it. Be honest, Kevin. You always feel like you are not doing enough. So the version of me that I like, the, the non-Frank version, right, is is saying everything's okay, but there's still work that I need to do to allow myself to sit quietly with that feeling that everything is okay and not have to immediately jump on top of it and make changes to it. Does that make sense? I think so. First of all, I think, can you fire Frank? Like, he might be the I've CEO, to, but maybe it's time to give him the boot. Uh, I, I've tried. Uh, the board of directors won't let me, which is just a bunch of mini Franks. Uh, the, the motherfucker cloned himself, too. Uh, and look, he's not good company, and he's not funny. 
but it is so it becomes so intense that I want anything but to feel that. And I think that is kind of one of the dirty little secrets about people with severe anxiety is they know they're not in their right mind when they think I'll do anything to not feel this, but it is very so uncomfortable mm-hmm. that we just want to do anything. And so what we do, which perpetuates it, is we try to fight that thought or that feeling, which invites the thought to stay. And then you just start are doing this instead of just sitting with the thought, right? And then letting the thought dissipate on its own. But it's, so the, I call it the voice, then I call it the anxiety, and then I call it a world. So what I mean is the voice will say something. Here's an example in a workplace. Somebody, uh, my boss comes in and says, Kevin, can you pop in my office for a second, right? My voice says, she's mad at you. You're going to get fired, which causes a feeling of anxiety. That anxiety is that unease we feel, which is actually a, um, uh, in, um, what's the word I want? Evolutionary trait, right? To save us, but it is bastardized and magnified. So then you get that feeling, which causes you to create a world to stop that feeling in your brain. And it happens in like four seconds. So it goes, Kevin, can you come step in my office for a second? I'm going to be fired. Oh God, what am I going to do? You start to feel something. And then all of a sudden in the world, you're walking out after having packed a box of your stuff and, and being ashamed as you walk by everybody because you've lost your job. And all that happens almost always way faster than we even know it's happened. And then what happens <laughs> happen, 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 happen. What happens is um, we, I think, at least I, more often than not in my life, have clung on to the, to the world I've created and forgotten about when she just popped her head in my office. Even, even so, in this example, that I go into the office and I'm like, not literally shaking, but very afraid. And they're like, oh, we just wanted to let you know that next Tuesday... Uh, we're going to be closed, whatever it may be. And you're like, oh, and so it's like a push, pull, push, pull, push, pull. And that goes on for so many people um, all day, every day. And often, unfortunately, because so many people are are parents and they're worried about paying their bills and they're worried about their, obviously their children, maybe other members of their family, friends, they don't even have the time or the the luxury to sit back and say, well, now let's follow that train of thought in my mind there for a moment. I did this, this, and this. Oh, wow. That's what happened. I created this whole world when that world didn't exist. If that makes sense. Yep. Been there, been there. Um, You and I talked about this, I think on your podcast, and I don't know if anybody else finds it helpful, but I would ask myself, is this the end of the world? You know, like this thought I'm having, this worry I'm having, is this the end of the world? And most of the time, the answer was no. The The world will not end, you know, if I get fired. The world will not end, you know, um, if the garage doesn't get organized. I know, yes, talk about OCD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. I've had panic attacks over uh, the garage will not be organized by this weekend like I had planned. Yes, this is true. Yeah. Um, but you know, in my family, we've also had the worst possible thing happen to us. I mean, we've lost a child in a car accident, and that has also changed my perspective on things as well, because frankly, I don't think anything can compare to that. So I feel like I've been through the worst. 
So, you know, other than, God forbid, losing another member of my family, um, my son, for example, um, anything else is survivable. Um, but it, it's a lot of it is perspective. Perspective. I love that word. I love the value in perspective. Uh, having perspective, it's one of the most um, uh, valuable things in the world, but it's ne- it's rarely there on time. Oh, 100%. And I think in the way that you and I are saying that in a very solemn, accepting way says a lot about both of us, right? To know that we're, we are closer to forgiving ourselves for that than we may have been, as you said, 20 or 30 years ago. Um, to say, you know what? I didn't do as well today. I'm going to try again. Even just being aware of Frank and Karen, you know, just being aware of the the negative chatter, being aware of the habits, being aware, geez, I... You know, even after you say it, Lisa, you dumbass. Yeah, okay. That, you know, that's not serving me well. Awareness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm going to try not to say that anymore. Or, you know, being aware of just the terrible things that we do for ourselves and to ourselves. I think first we have to be aware and then we have to believe that that change is possible and that a change would be in our best interest. So for example, you know, kicking Karen to the curb when she shows up or uh, being able to just have that perspective on the spot, which is really hard. But, you know, when Karen shows up, you know, it's like, okay, shut up. Mm-hmm. I'm done. I I'm sometimes done say that out loud. I don't know yeah. if you do. Oh, I, I do. Say, You're not welcome here or shut up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I can't go to Kroger anymore. <laughs> Um, but I, I say it out loud because it's almost as if it's like, ah, I'm now putting my foot down and we're moving forward. Right. Right. Um, you know, in, in awareness, I love what you said about awareness and then belief and belief is similar to hope. And if you believe that things can get better, then I think the third thing is the actions and the work. Cause you know, the, the thing is, uh, people always say, well, knowing is half the battle to which i would say well often with my mental health struggles i'm the alexander the great of half the battle but the other half i don't have a fucking clue i don't know how to change it Mm -hmm. so awareness is the first step and it's very difficult to have the awareness but there's also that second step uh well i guess third step because second step is believing and then third step of doing the work to make the change uh, to so you can do it differently going forward, but that's it's hard, man. It's really oh, absolutely, hard. absolutely. I think that's why we're a lot of us are in this club, right? It's because it's not easy. It's not something you can read one book about or listen to one podcast episode or you know go to one counseling therapy session. It's an ongoing process. But I think that segues perfectly into my next question, and that is, what do you do to help yourself? Um, exercise, uh, I, so when the pandemic hit, uh, I'd been going to gyms for a while and I would do like the elliptical or things like that for the, for the, um, cardio part. Well, all the gyms closed and I was, I had a very stressful job at the time. And I said, well, I'm going to lose my fucking mind and I hate running, but I was like, I got to run. So I'd start running and, um, I became a bit of a runner and 
that helps a lot. That that helps me clear my head. It helps me organize my thoughts, um, and it kind of tires me out. I think what a lot of people maybe who aren't as anxious don't realize about anxiety is, is, is it is exhausting. Um, I know somebody who has a puppy, and one of the ways that she keeps her puppy calm, especially if the weather's bad, is she gives them little puzzles to try to get the treats out because it engages their brain and it wears them out. It's the same thing with anxiety. You could see somebody sitting there all day worrying, and then they're like, God, I'm exhausted. They're like, you didn't do anything. It, but it, your body becomes so exhausted from the use of your brain. And so running not only enriches your brain, it allows your brain to uh, re- reorient itself very much like sleep. And um, so exercise is, is a big one for me. Writing, uh, if I am able to get over the Frank hump, I guess we'll call it, which sounds terrible. Um, if I can get over the Frank hump and actually write, it always I always write to figure something out. Um, and one of the, my favorite things about writing is you start to write and then uh, it could be a couple sentences or a couple paragraphs. You're writing about something you had no idea you were going to write about because it just comes because it's, it's allowing those thoughts to, to flow freely. Um, so exercise writing and then mental health advocacy and, um, making sure that, that people, you know, through the sad times podcast, through uh, motivational speaking that I'm trying to do. Um, making sure that allowing people to share their stories and be somebody who can be there to listen and, and, and serve people that way is a, is another good positive thing for me because when I was a kid, I had all these racing thoughts and I, I really thought that nobody's brain is like this. I I'm insane. I don't know what to do. I felt so isolated, so alone. And then I found out, no, other people go through this. And the, there was such an unbelievable relief to learn that I was not the only one going through this. And it wasn't relief that others were suffering. It was relief that I was not alone. And that's why I think stories are the great human currency of humankind, because they help us feel less alone. So I guess those... Uh, those things oh and reading fucking reading um i'd always rather be reading always and if i the this phone fucks that up a little bit but uh sometimes i'll put the phone in another room and i'll just sit with a book for an hour or whatever uh i people say oh i don't have time for reading to which i say well you can make time for reading yeah quaint for me to say for somebody who has maybe two jobs and children right that's different but somebody maybe in my position who has no children, um, you can always make time for reading. If And I believe that we as a society, uh, the greatest thing we ever did as a society was not invent the wheel, although that has helped. Uh, it was public libraries. Because public libraries allow people to congregate. They allow people to understand ideas they never thought of. Um, they They... I think uh, at the Chicago Public Library, where I used to go almost daily, there was a quote from Oprah Winfrey on the wall that said something to the effect of um, getting my library card was like getting my citizenship. And so reading, understanding new ideas, being challenged by ideas, uh, it, it is very good for me. And I think it's good for us as a race of people. Well, and I think uh, it on some level, it circles back to what you had said earlier about the power of stories 
And I mean, to me, a book is a story, even if it's mm. not a fictitious, you know, boy meets girl, whatever, or the three little pigs. A book is still a story, even if it's all based on fact. It's all about World War II or all about, you know, politics or all about whatever. It It's a story. And I think our stories are very powerful. And what I have learned in in the advo advocacy space as well is that when we tell our story, it allows other people to feel safe telling theirs. How many times have you shared a story where you've said, you know, gosh, I really struggle with anxiety or this or that, and somebody else says, oh my God, me too. Let me tell exactly. you about that. Yeah. That's so well said. And one of the great parts of stories and being human. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to say that not the, the greatest thing is not maybe libraries, but the old, the old campfire when we were cave people, uh, you know, mm -hmm. instead of clubbing each other over the head at night, we were maybe grunting out a story or, or, or using our stick to draw a story in the, in the dirt. Um, because that's, that's how the information was, was, you know, brought forward. Yes. But to satirize the, the years I've spent in corporate culture, uh, but is that, is that scalable? Lisa, come on. <laughs> no, what no, it is not. Good Lord. Uh, anyway, no, I, I think that's a very fair point. And I, I take your point. I think that's a, it's right. And, and yeah, instead of clubbing yourself over the head with it, using the club to draw in the sand or somehow to write on the wall with it, right? There you go. See, look at how we've, how far we've come. Look at how far yeah. we've come. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got bottled water. We pay like three dollars for it, right? Yeah. Um, what gives you hope, Kevin? Kindness. Kindness gives me hope above all else. I think. Um, I I'll use your phrasing. It's not the end of the world. Um, that gives me hope. I think for me personally. The more I learn about how the universe was made, the more I learn about my infantile speck spot in it gives me hope. Uh, it, it makes me realize nah, now, it makes me realize not everything is that big of a deal. Now, I still have my emotions, I still have my reactions, et cetera. So I still struggle with that. That gives me hope. Kindness, humor gives me hope. Um. The fact that we are able to change gives me hope. And I think mortality gives me some hope. And what I mean by that is it, 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 you know, if you read uh, Walt Whitman, who I adore, it, it, it helps you focus on now instead of then. Mm. And that, that is, is that is hopeful to that me. That is, that is powerful. You're right. Yeah. I think now, um, I fail at that most of the time, but it does help me get there when I need to. Mm -hmm. What about resilience? What does resilience mean to you? Resilience is again, I'm going to go back to kindness. Uh, it's forgiveness. Um, it's quite literally persistence. Uh, maybe I use that grammatically wrong, literally. Um, it is 
Oh, I wrote it down on that sheet. What else did I put down? Trying to be more empathetic. True. Laughing at myself and the world. True. Trying to be kind to myself. It's not easy. It is not easy. That, that, but the, you know, as I've gotten older, as I've done some work in therapy, as I've tried to make changes to my patterns, I've learned that beating myself down is the opposite of resilience and forgiving myself is kind of quintessential resilience. So, but man, is it hard? It's very, very difficult. Yeah. But it's like riding a bike and in only in the sense that we fall down a lot when we're first learning and we just mm-hmm. have to keep getting on that damn thing. Right. Yeah. Even though we're all scabbed up and scarred up, you just keep getting back on it. That's right. Ride a little, ride a little farther the next time before you fall off. True. So we haven't really talked about your podcast, Sad Times, yet. So before we wrap things up here, can you give us a little synopsis of Sad Times and and what you do over there? Sure. Um, So Sad Times is a podcast that was actually born out of my one-man show. I did that one-man show in 2017. Um, It was called Invisible Now. From the Dylan lyric, you're invisible now, you got no secrets to conceal. Uh, And in the show, the idea of the show was... You know what would be funny is if I did a show where I talked about all the weird shit I've been afraid of. And I'm talking about, like, when I was a kid, I was afraid I was going to stick my head in a tornado siren and lose my hearing. To which everybody goes, well, just don't stick your head in the tornado siren. I said, ah, you're missing the point. Uh, I was afraid for a good long while I was going to die in the electric chair. I had a full-on panic attack about that in Chicago. My poor dad didn't know what the fuck to do. Um, And... The goal of the show was, here's my weird shit. Very much like what you just said. Here's my story. And then people say, oh, my God, I um, I feel the same way. And I, I partnered with a mental health organization in the city of Chicago. And after I, I was doing the show, and after one show, I came out. There was a woman standing there with a, a her daughter who was maybe 18, 19, I don't know. Uh, and she introduced herself and said, hi, my name is, and I, shame on me, I don't remember her name. I work with Cathedral Counseling, which is who I worked with, and said, this is my daughter, and I looked to my right where she was, and she had tears in her eyes. And she said, you know, all, all her life, she's been trying to explain to me what's going on with her brain, and then at the end of the show, she pointed and said, that, that's what's happening. And that was one of the best moments of my entire life ever. Because again, it helps people feel less alone. It helps them feel less ashamed of what they're going through. Um, And that was wonderful. So I I did that show. And then a friend of mine approached me. He was trying to build a streaming channel on Twitch. He said, I want you to do your show again. I said, "Eh, you know, I've already done. And then one night I got drunk and uh, I was stopped by his house. I said, all right, here's my idea. I want to have people come on the show and I wanted them to talk about sad, difficult times in their life. And what I don't want to do is try to fix it. I don't want to diagnose it and I don't want to judge it. I just want them to talk about it. And the goal here is to help people feel less. So it was originally a a Twitch streaming show and then... um, Due to life changes, having to move and stuff, we turned it into a podcast. 
And so each week we have a kind and generous guest to come on and talk about those extremely difficult times in their life. And I know it's called sad times, but it's really about the stories and about listening wherever you are listening to that story and hearing something and saying, oh, I thought I was the only one who felt that way. You can find us at www, uh, which means worldwide web, dot sadtimespodcast.com or on Instagram at sadtimespodcast. At the website, you will see all, you can listen to all the episodes. You can register to be a guest. Um, there's some other cool stuff. We have a blog where we do guest blogs, et cetera. So um, that's what Sad Times is. Actually, I have to say your website is very robust, very robust. Oh, thank you. Kevin, I have enjoyed this so much. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. I I, I truly appreciate it. And um, I love the work that you're doing. And um, you're just kicking ass and taking names. So congratulations to you. And thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. So thank you. And to my listeners, stay well and be resilient. And we will catch you next time. In season two of the Rising Strong podcast, I'll be dropping two episodes every week. The first will be interview style dropped on Tuesday. And the second will be a deep dive into a specific topic of mental health, which will be dropped on Fridays. So if you have a certain topic that you'd like me to discuss, please reach out. And if I use your topic or your idea, I will shout you out on social media and your name will be entered to win some sweet Rising Strong swag. So thanks in advance and thanks for listening.